be full of fright. I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show. And I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the dispatches. <laughs> Welcome to what? <laughs> Welcome to the dispatchist. Oh, Victoria. See what I did there? <laughs> I like your whimsical pirate look. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just trying it out for a little while. I don't know if I really, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've quite grown into it yet. I want to draw on it with a green crayon, but it wouldn't show up. You wouldn't know. No, I need to get a whiteout or something. Is your life having a sort of Job-like quality this week? It is. It is, actually. Yeah. Were you, were you too <laughs> righteous? Is that what happened? Yes, I was too darn righteous. Mm. That, yes. Every um, time. But I cursed God. So okay. that's the difference. Yeah. Well, I like it. I think it looks very gothy and will go over well in your next concert. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, with the the zombie yacht rock pioneers right. that we are. Well, you could like stick a little goth, a cutesy goth Hello Kitty skull to it. That might go over well. <gasps> yes. Or maybe just a googly eye. A yeah, single, one, a one, single googly eye. A single giant googly eye. Uh-huh. One huge googly eye. <laughs> Let me get on Etsy real quick. I think I have some. Maybe I'll have to try that out a little later. Well, friends, this is episode 58 of The Dispatchist, When Life Gives You Figs, wherein we will be talking in some degree of deep detail on the Garden of Eden and the Book of Job. Mm-hmm. Very similar books. But first, I have some hell news that I'm very excited about. <gasps> Yay! Okay. Let's hear it. Priest Goes to Hell says the demons were singing Rihanna. Yes. Whoa. So, okay. Is this, a, is this recent? Well, the story is recent. The mm-hmm. incident in question happened in 2016. But, and it took um, him this long to get back? See, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. I think he had to process it internally. Also, this is a priest saying he went to hell. So he's probably got to do some mental gymnastics to make this be a story that works. Yeah, that's kind of a problem. Um, yeah. And why? So clearly also he's a fan of Rihanna. To recognize Rihanna? Not necessarily. Okay. Because she was playing as Hell's soundtrack. So, so was she doing it or was somebody else? I don't know. The jury is kind of vague on this. Okay. But the, uh, so he died of a heart attack and, well, he didn't die. He passed briefly into the land of the dead of a heart attack in 2016. Mm-hmm. And descended downward into the pits of hell, which are very specifically located at the center of the earth. So that's good. Uh-huh, of course. And when he got there, it was like full-on Hieronymus Bosch everywhere, like weird tortures and chains and people being treated like dogs, which you could probably have at your local goth club, actually. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but this was hell. And one of the more – quote from the article, which is from uh, Days Digital. One of the most bizarre punishments that Gerald was subjected to for his sins, though, was a rendition of Rihanna's Umbrella. Unfortunately, it wasn't performed by Rihanna herself, but by a demonic cover band. <laughs> Aren't all – Cover bands by nature, demonic. <laughs> At least somewhat. 
Uh, it just mm-hmm. blew me away, says Gerald, adding there was one whole section of eternal damnation dedicated to musical torture, with other hellish hits including Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Oh, God. Uh. Yeah. And he goes on to say Rihanna may have gotten the inspiration for the song From Hell. Well, uh, umbrella. You have seized on the required headline pun there. <laughs> so, okay, I have a I have an important question for the two of you. Okay. Um, what do you find more intolerable? People making the noises of instruments or like jazz noodling? I I, I really, really dislike jazz. Wait. I do too. People making the noise of instruments? Yeah, like Bobby McFerrin, or whatever the hell he does. Oh, like, like what if you're like air uh-huh. guitar and you're like, you don't like that? Not if that's your, uh, that that is your one skill. Yeah, and, not and, if that's and you my make only money talent. off of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. R- riffing, riffing really bothers me. Yeah, any kind of noodling. Yeah. Um, you know. Save stamping. noodling for the pasta restaurants. What do you do in the shower? <laughs> Between lather, rinse, and repeat. Let's not discuss that on the radio. I sing Blondie songs. Doesn't Blondie riff on the noodles? Blondie herself, well, unfortunately, she she does have a foray, little little brief foray into rapping and kind of calypso e stuff, which is not my favorite. Blondie calypso? No, I don't mm-hmm. need to hear this. I do not. Mm. I think improvisational is the key. Right. Don't like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Learn the words, get the sheet music. It's not that expensive. <laughs> you can buy some freaking instruments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just buy a freaking something. <laughs> That's all. You could afford it. Rent it. Rent it like a band, like a band kid. <laughs> so that is my hell news. I am very excited by this hell news. Did anybody bring anything to the party today? I did. Mm. I did. I don't know why that sounded so aggressive. I did. I did. Um, I think the eye patch is changing me. So I found this really cool bottle of liquor on eBay. It's not made anymore. They stopped making it in sometime in the 70s. Oh. Um, it got replaced by Chambord or Chambord. Okay. Or the company started making that and using the same bottle for it. Right. It is forbidden fruit liqueur. Gasp. Yeah. And it tastes like grapefruit. Or it used to, when, when it existed, it tasted like grapefruit. And... You know what the connection is, why it's grapefruit and forbidden fruit? No. Because in 1750, a botanist, I'm going to just call him a gentleman botanist, even though I don't know if he was a gentleman or a botanist, um, (laughs) but he recorded the first ever description of the grapefruit and called it forbidden fruit. Did he just not like it? I don't know. I love grapefruit, but it's uh, it it has uh, negative reactions with so many medications that maybe he knew that this was going to happen someday. It's got an attitude. He had it on his breakfast platter, and he stuck his fork into the grapefruit, and it oh spurted him in the eye. And he's like, "Damn this fruit! <laughs> you are forbidden. I shall not eat thee again." Yes. But it's, it, as you may imagine, it is a key ingredient in a classic cocktail called an Adam and Eve. Which is a sad thing because you can't get it anymore. Right. Other people have picked up the grapefruit uh, liqueur um, idea and run with it. And a few okay. of them also call theirs 
Forbidden Fruit, but this was the original. And the bottle is really, really cool. And Chambord is raspberry. So, like, they, they gave up entirely on the Forbidden Fruit and switched to a good fruit. The sanctioned fruit. So, alcohol question. Is yep. there a fig-based liqueur? Oh, there Ooh. has to be. Like, to the Googles! <laughs> you can put figs in, in wine, right? Well, I, I failed if there is. Fig liqueur near me. Homemade fig liqueur on Pinterest. Oh, figlia. figlia. So I've heard of some. figlia. So I failed you, but I kind of like the whole forbidden fruit thing. And I found it. It's okay. a good story. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I, I do have some entertainment. Oh. Yes. yes. It's being cast into the swamp to fight with the fearful. So you mean Adam and Eve. <laughs> oh, God. They really have trepidations, don't they? Oh, my uh -huh. goodness. They're, they're kind of ninnies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I brought lamb skewers. <gasps> okay. Delightful. Be because. Is this a offering? We'll get to that. But they're up, up Spicewood. There's a place called Chen's Noodle House. Which oh, yeah. Exquisite noodles. And just for mm -hmm. some random reason, they have lamb skewers. And I was nice. up the door with a buddy like three days ago, and we got lamb skewers, and we ate them. Oh. Mm. But here's my logic. Let's say uh -huh. you're a very righteous dude, mm -hmm. and you have a whole flock of lambs, as most righteous dudes do. Okay. Well, I had them, but they were taken by the Saracens. Exactly. Well, <laughs> the Saracens. <laughs> if you're too righteous... God is going to smite your sheep. Yep. Therefore, mm -hmm. you might as well eat them before he does. Okay. Smoke them if you got them, lads. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, know what that was. I like that. I like that. So, yeah. You know, uh, I have had, they do have uh, some kind of lamb uh, noodle soup. They do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's... It's wetter and less skewery. <laughs> it's a little harder to smoke it. Yeah. Uh, it just soaks through the papers. <laughs> okay. So it has been asked uh, why these two stories. By me. By, 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 by like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, by, who asked? By John. <laughs> okay. Answers. Uh, these are two of the oldest stories in the Bible. Uh, Job is probably sourced from something from like 1000 B.C., Mm -hmm. And uh, compiled in 700-ish BC. Okay. And the book of Genesis is written by, one theory is that the book of Genesis was written by the Yahweh source, J, and the priestly source, P, kind of back and forthing it. And the Yahweh source was active around like probably 700 BC as well. So they're both very old. They're very kind of cornerstone. And they're both about theodicy. God's God's ethics and the creation of evil and how evil works in the world. Mm -hmm. I want to interject. Yes. Thus, I have interjected. We're done here. We've had this conversation for a week now, back and forth. Uh huh. Like, so which one of you is the Yahweh source? Which yeah, one he's the he's pro P. I am pro J. Okay. This is fair. Okay. I am. Okay. And All right. So, I mean, literally, like, we have stopped in the middle of the stairs, one going up, one going down, and argued. And I just now realized he was saying theodicy, not the odyssey. The 
And I was like, and he keeps saying, but it's about the Odyssey. And I'm like, okay, no. I can't wait for this to tie in because I'm not seeing it. The last month of conversations makes so much sense now for both of us. Yeah, really, it, it does. He said, oh. How wide are y'all's stairs, too? Like, I want to... Not very. It's not like Hogwarts, right? Like, no. you guys are, are actually, no. like, nose-to-nose nose when you're talking. It's a little bit awkward. <laughs> They're good sitcom stairs. <laughs> if you're still confused, uh, check the show notes under section 2.12 pronunciation. For pictures of our stairs? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it's about the Odyssey, Jamin. Don't you understand? I will say, the Odyssey, <sighs> it does very much sound like... Me dumb. The Odyssey. Or you could say Theodicy. Theodicy. Maybe maybe we just agree, like, just so Jamin doesn't get confused, it's Theodicy. Again. <sighs> Again. So before we actually get started, I feel like there's some st- <laughs> stalling tactics at work. Have either of you actually read Genesis and Job, at least this week? Nope. Wait, this week? <laughs> okay. Did, did, did the two of you pinky swear not to read the Bible once we started this podcast? Uh... Psychically, okay, not physically. Okay, we're doing it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, Excellent. I mean, I've I've read it. How much has changed this year? It's you know, that's right. Yeah, I mean, yes, I read. I read. I've read a lot of it. We, we've proceeded on our hell journey a great many leagues. Mm-hmm. That that but, has changed. That's true. I mean, I don't I, know. Like, I'll read it. I'll read it. I mean, we talked about reading. We've talked about reading the Bible at some point. I learned the word theodicy. I <laughs> learned a new word, too. What was your word? My word is eisegesis. It's, it's I-E-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. Oh, what does it mean? This one means reading into the biblical text what is not actually present within the text. Oh, that's a great word. That's Why really going to be, that's really <laughs> useful in Job, for sure. That should be the name of a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I Yeah, I feel like I, my whole life is a lie that I didn't know that word. I understand both acts and kings are allegorical interpretations of Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. definitely. It definitely. makes sense now. That the broomstick mm-hmm. scene? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you my word once we get to Job, because it's, okay. it's a good word. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll start with Eden then. Oh, wait. Before we start with Eden, I'd like to make a quick correction. We were talking about Moses and Aaron and his sticky thing with the snaky thing on it, right? And it was the yes. only oh, yeah. idol thing, right? And I yes. said, yeah. oh, it's the Caduceus. Boy, was I wrong. That was not Mm-mm. the Caduceus. That was the staff of Asclepius. It was the... <sighs> the rod the of Aaron. Nehustatan. Well, I can't tell you how many comments we've received on that. Yeah. So, and I I learned this. I actually looked it up. (laughs) The the Caduceus has two snakes. Mm -hmm. I wish you could see my hands right now. For those of you following along at home, Caduceus has two snakes and is the symbol of the god Hermes, who had the wingy feet. Yep. And because he was fleet of foot, he was a messenger. Mm -hmm. Who needs messengers? Businesses. Small business. The, the the symbol for small for business is the caduceus, because both snakes are looking at each other fairly in open agreement. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they're they're haggling? They're haggling. <laughs> Making a deal? Snake deal? Medicos use the staff of Asclepius 
which has one snake. So it's different. That's not an. It's an, entirely different. Huh. So I've always pronounced it caduceus. So you, I guess, is it caduceus? Caduceus. Caduceus. I put I put the syllables in. Who okay. uses a hyper snake? And then the Army Corps of Medics uh-huh. incorrectly chose the wrong one. And everyone at the time was like, that's the wrong snaky stick. Because they have two. Because they have right. two. However, gotcha. because it was the Army, they were like, well, it's ours now. And thus, medicos in the know look down at medicos who use the wrong snaky stick. I'm, I'm not going to look this up because I'll be wrong, but... I'm pretty sure that medical technology providers use one and a half snakes. Oh, so it's kind of like, like, (laughs) which top or bottom? Straight straight down the middle. That's right. (laughs) The other snake is screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Just like medical technology. Okay. I want want someone to draw that. that. He has one of the little, like, doctor reflectors and a scalpel in his hand. He's like, ah. So a lot of my source for today was Arthur George and Elena George's The Mythology of Eden, which mm-hmm. uh, I got at five o'clock last night. <laughs> wow. So okay. there's been some speed reading. Yeah. Uh, let's just take a quick tour of Genesis, um, of the Garden of Eden sections of Genesis. There's a lot more than the Garden of Eden in Genesis. It goes on for a lot of early history stuff. But... Uh, in particular, it's worth noting that there's some chunks of this that are written by the priestly source in like 500, 600-ish or so. And remember that that time period has more of the kind of distant god. Uh, he's not very hands-on. Mm-hmm. But the Yahweh source has a very hands-on god. Um, he's celebrating Yahweh in kind of his early like 800-ish maybe phase of the cult. And mm-hmm. his God is extremely hands-on. He wrestles with Jacob. He makes Adam out of clay with his hands. He probably blows his nose with his long, long nostrils. <laughs> 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 this is the God that actually walks in the Garden of Eden, and he walks beside Adam, even. Mm-hmm. So just kind of bear in mind that's kind of the framing. And it begins with the P writer, uh, the later writer, talking about the creation of the world, uh, you know, in the in the beginning, uh, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So he's already kind of a non-corporeal God. And he says, let there be light. He separates the light from the darkness. Uh, he creates, but he allows the world to create vegetation. He separates the land. There's a lot of separating, but mm-hmm. apparently this kind of creation as establishing order is a is an older tradition than Genesis. Like it's in some of the Mesopotamian stuff. And I feel like it's in the Egyptian creation story involving Ra as well. Uh, He creates the vegetation, he creates birds, he creates fish, he creates livestock, and then later, male and female, he creates um, mankind, and then gives people the order to subdue the earth and multiply, and that great mandate, which has carried us so well into the century. And then on the seventh day, he rests, and enigmatically, in Genesis 2.4, Genesis 2, chapter 4, uh, we get the account of Adam and Eve. So right in the middle of a section break there. Mm-hmm. The story is basically there was no one to work the ground. So God hadn't sent any water to water everything, but he made a man and he put the man in Eden in the east. He made trees, two trees, the tree of life, and the tree of good and evil, put them in the center. Tells them that they cannot eat from the tree in the fruit in the middle of the garden or they will die. Mm. 
So I, I, I have heard that there's two forms of the word die. There's like die and there's die die. This is like so, middle school like, right? And they've just lost it really like in one case, they've just lost all their hit points. <laughs> no. So like the, the, the emphatic die is more like the process of dying that we are all in. Although uh-huh. uh, as a middle-aged person, I'm further in <laughs> than some. I'm older than you. Yeah, that's true. I know. But women, <laughs> women live, women live decades true. longer than I will. That's true. So you're, yeah, I'm, we're, we're equal in longevity, like quite, a quite life possibly. expectancy. Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. The serpent and Eve juggle the definitions of die back and forth. Eve says something like, we will not die suddenly. And the serpent says, you will not die a slow death. Um, because those are the different versions of the die word is to die abruptly or to die because you're alive. Right, and you're just wearing out. Right, right, right. Okay, uh-huh. So, of course, Eve gives uh, Adam a chunk of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and they don't die. Their eyes are open to the knowledge of good and evil, and then God stumbles upon them and says, uh, what What's with all these fig leaves? What is, what is with all these fig leaves? And, uh, you know, basically gets them dressed gives them the tools to survive, then kicks them out with the uh, curse of you shall always toil the ground and the animals will all hate you and your kids will grow up to say rude things about you and childbirth is going to be a stone cold bitch and that sort of thing. And then they stumble out into the desert, presumably weeping. So one note that um, Myth of Eden kind of emphasizes, as do a lot of people, is the amount of kind of sublimated goddess content in this. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of thinking about this, and you know, God co-creates the world, but He co-creates with the world, and He's definitely in charge. Like there is no mention of you know His Asherah working with Him, but the goddess of the earth is kind of her role, and she's tied to sacred trees and things like that. So it's kind of she may be in the background or in the underturf or something of this story. Kind of with with her loss of control and her loss of fertility, all those things being passed on to Yahweh, but it still feels like she's there in kind of the lusciousness of the garden. So, the word sublimate means to transition from one phase of matter to another, skipping the intermediate phase. Okay. For example, ice sublimates to water vapor, never melting. Right. Oh, I I, I will take that as a hypothetical. I've seen it melt. No, no, no. But like. On a cold day, ice will disappear, but it doesn't melt. It just sublimates into water vapor. Sometimes the dogs eat it. <laughs> no, but... Okay, my question is, how does a goddess sublimate? Because the dogs ate her? Yes, the dogs ate her. All of her powers are taken over by Yah, who kind of becomes the one that disperses fertility. He's able to make Eve. He, he becomes the creator without any assistance. He takes on all these aspects that he might have done in concert with his consort later on. Hmm. Everybody's kind of downplaying Yah's consort because it's just kind of awkward for them to have this extra figure in the story. Also, that implies like God has a body and has, you know, like is having sex potentially, right? Yeah, we've really gotten away from sexual God. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, I think he's totally become like the the hoary white beard figure and not really like Mr. Masculine in this, in some ways at this point. Ho- hoary gotcha. as in like gray and grizzled, not the, not the more fun kind of hoary. No, no, no we no, left that behind. No. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. One, one thing that the Georges said was that some of the subtext is um, Eve brings sin into the world, and therefore you should not follow feminine goddess wisdom. Uh, yep. It's a rejection of goddess worship to to kind of have her give the knowledge of good and evil that is that is deeply problematic in this story. Mm-hmm. There's also kind of an interesting parallel that Eve is a transforming and civilizing force, which as many, many goddesses are, uh, reminded me of the Gilgamesh story where Shemhet, the temple prostitute slash courtesan. Right. Yeah. She, she took all of the wild savagery out of her part, out of um, Enkidu to tame him. She boinked him till he was tame. It was seven days of boinking. A lot can go on in seven days. But at the end of it, he'd lost the ability to run with the animals, and he got shaved and, you know, wore a tie and started working at his dad's law firm, etc., etc. So Eve is still like a transformative power, but she does it in this kind of darker, this is all against God's will sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, in the... (laughs) In the non-canonical stuff that I read, she she really is um, kind of the disruptor, and which kind of is more in keeping with a Lilith figure. Yeah, and it's not necessarily that all of the world's woes are being blamed on her. All of the world's wisdom is being blamed on her as well, mm-hmm. but that's it separates us from our primal innocence. Right, right. It's kind of interesting that the... Like, I think that a Jewish rite of growing up and becoming an adult at age 20 has the phrase, you know, you are given the knowledge of good and evil. Um, And a few other, like, adulthood rites are, like, age 20, and they emphasize knowledge of good and evil. This entire scenario is um, also a growing up story for the the couple. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes total sense, because I was about to ask, like, we never really know what age... Adam and Eve are, I mean, again, like none of this is real. <laughs> three, three, three days. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cause they're, they're either three days or they're 903, yeah. you know? And right. Because, so. because this was before age, before decay, like they could have been a thousand years old and it looked as fresh as three days old. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it is, I think it's really important with both Adam and Eve and Job to read these as myth and metaphor. Like, if you go in there saying this is even a, even a novelization, I think you're getting into some weird questions because novelizations have to hold together and make, like, internal rational sense. But these are, like, porcoy stories and explanations of the human condition and how it got there. If you're trying to take it literally, I think you, you start to get into crazy places. And we will go to some crazy places. Yes. And yes. I think that's why I, I shied away from reading the canonical works because I feel like so much is built on (laughs) reading things into those that aren't there. And also assuming all of that is uh, true in some way, or at least the word of God. It's yeah, that's crazy making. What was your word again? Oh, uh, let me go back to that. So my, my new word was, I guess it's eisegesis. E I E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. So I, I kind of wanted to know, yeah, like, because um, I, I don't know, I think rabbinical writings are way more interesting 
<laughs> oh, they and, are. Yeah, because they're funny. They've got they're funny. They've got they've got sex. They've got you know they got all kinds of stuff. So can I ask a question? <laughs> so I know we weren't going to talk about Eden as a place in a place, but so I guess actually okay. So and I know this is my own fault, but I I I don't recall the cave of treasures being a part of the biblical story. Is it? It is not. Um, it was, okay. That was Aladdin. Yes, yes, yes it was. Yes, it's it was. also the Lord of the Rings. So you're 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 getting a little ahead. That's from okay, the sorry. No, no, no. That's from the mm-hmm. secret books of Adam and Eve, which were written by Christians in the fifth and sixth century. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. maybe they had some early archaeology that kind of. I think there was a place called the Cave of Treasures that was filled with like weapons and things like that, like historical artifacts and things like that. Maybe that was recently uncovered there. I don't know. Mm, okay. That's like well over a thousand years into the future. So. Or was it three days? <laughs> this is all. Strange and definitional. Mm-hmm. So let's talk briefly about the serpent, because the serpent is like, yes, no, Satan. And that's one of the things that's brought us here together today. There's three, three main characters here. Four main characters. Larry, Curly, Moe, and Shemp. Yes. Now, uh, I was mimicking the, the um, guy who gave the sermon about Job. Oh, we're, we're not. We're not on Job, though. We're on Eden. Oh, I know. I know. I just kind of wanted to. She just wanted to mock him to his face. No, I, I actually liked it. No, uh, just thinking about the serpent. Yeah, there's a, there's a threesome here, but it's unclear who the threesome is. I think we're going to talk about the threesome later. Okay. Just the serpent himself. Oh. Um. Well, I, was, I meant that, like, sex joke later. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I ruined your joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, from now on, like anytime, like I need you to chant that. I ruined your joke. <laughs> I feel like that is my nickname, the ruiner, the, the joke, joke ruiner. Now I'm going to have to keep all of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the serpent. Uh, he's described as being kind of the wisest of beasts and trickiest of beasts and the most subtle of beasts. So the word kind of has positive and negative qualities. He's neither really that good nor really that bad necessarily, but he is quite clever. And I think like analogy wise, this is a coyote figure more than anything else. You know, and that whole coyote creates the world sense of the thing. I like that. I like looking at him like that or the, it uh, like that. Uh-huh. The trickster who makes you better by making you suffer. Right, right. And they're in a good place, which is innocence, but they're going to go to a place where all of us are, which is adulthood. And the coyote figure has to kind of help them take that journey. So a lot of Christians, I think, would say serpent. Yes, that's Satan. And the idea of like the devil in the Garden of Eden really isn't borne out in the text at all. And it is that the devil doesn't exist yet. Right. There is also that Satan, as mm-hmm. a Satan, is not going to be around for another 500 years. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, the Genesis is fairly specific in saying that the serpent was the wiliest of the beasts of the field. Um, he was the best beast. He was a beautiful best beast. Yeah. Oh, there's a great quote. With long, sensuous legs. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about that. 
<laughs> well, I mean, he had them taken away from him, so they must have been good. That's true. They're locked away, and the, they're in the Cave of Treasures. There's a great, great quote from Martin Luther. From this, some obvious conclusions follow, that before the sin, the serpent was a most beautiful little animal and most pleasing to man, as little mules, sheep, and puppies. Moreover, <laughs> it walked upright. <laughs> <laughs> 100% in the text. <laughs> so, so he was an axolotl, the serpent's an axolotl. Might have been, might have been. Because there's, yeah, there's some supposition that actually it's a, it's some kind of lizard. Well, it could be yeah. like a king cobra that kind of rides up. That's true. On its, yeah. on its, on its, not legs. It doesn't have legs, uh -huh. but yeah. <laughs> it's Trogdor, the burninator. Mm-hmm. The serpent may not have been, like, specifically associated with the devil. In some later texts, the devil kind of encourages him on his path, or the adversary kind of encourages him on his path to make trouble. But that wasn't necessarily his role. But the serpent has, for a long time, been an occult symbol. Like, it's associated with magic, rebirth, goddess worship. I think Kore has a serpent on, its, on her staff, or something along those lines. Like, it's a major magical totem animal. And that would definitely have been in the air when people were writing these books in 708 BC or so. So the serpent, like by its presence, kind of invokes mystery and magic. But also, I mean, we talked about this last week that there is, you know, some some talk out there of Yahweh being a dragon. And also there's uh, some supposition that the serpent, like El is a serpent, mm. or there, there's some connection to El and the serpent. Right, given the, the sort of seraphy thing happening with yep. him. Mm -hmm. So the word serpent here is nachas, I guess? How is it spelled? Uh, it's Hebrew. Okay. <laughs> don't, so don't backwards. Make me, don't make me go uh -huh. there. It's spelled without vowels, though. And there's a couple different versions which are represented with different vowel sounds, which is convenient for us readers. But the primary one here is nachas as snake, serpent. The other meanings, which are, in this case, probably a little bit secondary, but still there and still kind of implicit in the word, uh, mm -hmm. is shining or bronze, maybe flaming, or some sort of divination omen thing. But primarily, it's snake. And like the word is used later as just snake. But, you know, those other meanings are probably under the surface. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, this goes back to Jamin's mistake. and um, <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the one. <laughs> Uh huh. The Moses's staff with mm. the uh, Nehustatan, Nehustatan. So, but also the serpent might also be connected to a Canaanite fertility cult. I'm so I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I think it's in the the Kore Persephone fertility cult as well. Mm -hmm. Which you probably just mentioned, didn't you? And I did not. Well, not not by mention. name. <laughs> well, so even going back to. To Enkidu, the lord of the good tree was the deity of vegetation and also sometimes the underworld, and he was the the snaky dude. Was he? Mm -hmm. huh. <clears throat> Forgive my Sumerian, but Ningishizida? And he was the father of Ninazu, who was in Gilgamesh and Bit. Okay, okay. Huh. So, yeah, I could see, like, the serpent being divine or magical or mystical with, like, carrying those undertones. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's there, and it would have been in the in the in the air when these were being written. So okay, so then why did the serpent become associated with the devil and Satan? Well, this is because our God won, and your God is dumb. 
well, and this 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 book is about vilifying the snake. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a lot in this scene about snake vilification, and then later on, serpents and dragons are a thing, and very later on, the devil is firmly associated with the serpent at the at the end of the world. So I think there's a gradual like kind of evilization of serpents and snakes, and a lot yeah. of that is because we're getting we as a we in the sense of this this early Israel culture are getting away from goddess worship and any of its trappings. And However, we do have that cute picture of a medallion that I sent you, where Yahweh is shown as having two snake legs and a chicken head. Which, to me, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the McDonald's secret me- menu. Are you familiar with the Mo? So, if you're in the know, you can go into any McDonald's and you can whisper to the 16-year-old working the drive-through that you would like an Earth, Sea, and Air sandwich? No. Can you guess what is on the Earth, Sea, and Air? Beef, chicken, and fish? Yes, you get a filet of fish. Filet of fish. (laughs) A fried chicken patty or fried chicken breast and uh, like several, several of the straight up just McDonald's hamburger patties. But I keep calling it the earth sea and sky and just today i realized why they don't call it sky because it's not real chicken chickens don't fly yes so somebody somewhere in some boardroom was like no we can't we can't call it that chickens don't fly it's air not chicken because they yes uh chickens are creatures of the air they just don't soar that high (laughs) 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 but it's true like he has all uh, that little that little amulet, the little dude on the amulet has got it. He's got it going on McDonald's wise. I will have to share a picture of him. It's very strange. Another view of the serpent. This is, uh, this is from that myth of Eden book is that the serpent's a symbol of pre-existing evil. Okay. With, with all of his kind of cultish baggage, he's a symbol of the evil in the world. Um, that's, I guess somehow in the garden of Eden, maybe it's not a closed sealed environment. And, uh, that's, maybe temptation of the world is something that he brings in. I don't know. It was an idea that made sense in my head, but now it's evaporated like the morning dew. You're kind of right, because I obviously haven't read this since Sunday school. And back when I was 12 and Miss Betty said, now the serpent is the devil and the devil is the one trying to ruin everything by giving Eve the apple. Mm -hmm. And if I'd actually read the book, I would have said, no, you're right, Miss. I mean, you're wrong, Miss Betty. But wow. Yeah, there's no part of that that idea that's really right. The apple is probably not. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. not right. They didn't even it's have a grapefruit. apples. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> the reason for the apple. So a theory on why the apple is the fruit of knowledge of good and evil is because the apple's name in Latin is malum, and the oh, word for right, malus. Mal. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that was a hoot. Wow. Well, they're really stretching there, aren't they? Well, that's a pun. These are academics. Academics love a pun. Many a dissertation is based on a pun. I mean, that's how I'm hoping to get mine. (laughs) I would like to talk, uh, before we move on, I'd like to talk more about one of the most ridiculous things, possibly the most ridiculous thing that we read this week. Okay. Do you recall the serpent seed doctrine? I I was actually going to bring this up in original sin, but for a reason that is only my own. Okay, well... Do you want me to hold on to it then? No, go for it. Let's introduce the concept. Okay, so... <laughs> Don't hold on to the serpent seed. <laughs> Let it go. 
Oh. Okay, so the serpent seed doctrine, uh, it essentially is that Eve and Satan engaged in sexual relations, but... Even the serpent, even the serpent engaged in sexual relations. But Satan was in the serpent. So it was a threesome, like you said. Yes, exactly. This is this this okay. is this is this is the the threesome that we uh, alluded to earlier. So yeah, so that so this the serpent and Eve had sex, but Satan was essentially in the serpent. Therefore, Cain is a child of Satan. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this a little later about who his children potentially become. However. One of the issues, there are many issues with this. One of the many issues with this is that this also is a way of denigrating the Jews. Yeah. There's right. others, right. others, every, there's like infinite othering opportunities here. Yeah. It's, yep, it's yep, basically, yep, yep. you read the article, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is interesting. And then it gets into, and the Nazis liked it, and the Ku Klux Klan liked it. And then you're like, oh, this is less interesting. Yeah, it's actually being taught in white supremacy conferences into the like yes. the recent eighties. Isn't that? It's just like uh, how, what, uh. so. <clears throat> before <laughs> before we get into the Nazis, or before we discount uh-huh. them entirely, as we should, well, as we should. Uh. I I was going to say it kind of like is a nice uh-huh. explanation, right? If we're good and righteous people. And we're made by a good and righteous God, etc., etc. And Adam and Eve, blah, blah, blah. Why would their son be terrible? Like, that obviously wasn't the son of God's creation. That was obviously the devil that did it. So we explain away all the bad things by blaming it on the serpent. And not everything that's right and proper. This is like reading it like a novel as well, as opposed to a porcoy story about the triumph of agriculture over cattle raising and hunting or vice versa right doing doing that thing you told me not to do i did it right well just it's yeah no we have been trained to read these things as novel type stories where there is an internal structure and internal truth and i think that's just unhealthy Mm. yes now i want to talk about original sin okay okay so original sin uh there really isn't a sense of what original sin is except that we all are carriers of it there's a very popular theory that it's sex, which is wrong, because we have already met the animals in pairs, and they were probably yes. having sex. And some some writer recently said something along the lines of, if original sins is what separates us from the animals, then it probably can't be sex, because that is something the animals are doing, even as we speak, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, story is not about sex. So... Things not to search on your work computer. <laughs> Adam and Eve and Zoophilia. <laughs> um, Hard pass. Okay, right. yeah. Um, I guess I, that goes into the Eve and serpent thing. Right, right. Well, there's more. There's more. So, also things not to be interpreted literally, the Talmud. Uh, it's heavily allegorical. The story of how Adam and Eve had sex with every animal in the Garden of Eden is meant to be taken allegorically. Although I think that any allegorical interpretation is going to be a little bit sadder than the story itself. So, okay, <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Why would they do that? It was just like, <laughs> how I else don't, do you know? exert dominion? <laughs> I don't know. I only discovered this like five minutes before recording. 
And I was reading some interpretation that it's about how a rabbi interacts with his congregation, which really doesn't seem quite right. <laughs> maybe, maybe I misinterpreted that one. I don't know. Okay. There's an article. It's Rashi's commentary on the Torah in Spain, the case of Adam's mating with the animals, which probably goes into more detail, but it's on those uh, educational websites. And I just didn't have the time to open it up before we got here. So yeah. Okay. Anyway, things to search for on your work computer. <laughs> I do think Carry on. I do think that Eve sleeping with a serpent is is pretty original so far as sins go. I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. Yes. Mhm. I mean, maybe that's also why like they're just like okay, What's the most interesting sin we can engage? Wait, is that what we mean by original sin? It's like all the other sins we've done before. This one's new and exciting. That's right. Yeah. They're disrupting yeah. sin. The original mm-hmm. sin. I'm almost certain this is the Eddie Izzard definition of original sin. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. So, Theodicy and the Garden of Eden. Okay. This is the, a story of how evil entered the world. Yeah. And I think that it shares a lot in common with things that made me very frustrated with Job, which is that God doesn't take credit for the circumstances that allowed evil into the world. Because obviously evil happened when Eve was tempted by the serpent, who Mm -hmm. was extremely wily, probably talking with the adversary, who was a member of God's court. Uh, The serpent was created by God and left in the Garden of Eden by God, who is omniscient at this point. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Eve is tempted by this serpent who's very wily and has good rhetorical rhetorical skills. And Eve, Eve does not have knowledge of good and evil. She cannot know from temptation and good action. Because she hasn't eaten the fruit yet. Right, right. This is, mm-hmm. for me, this is very much like Moses coming down with the slab saying, no, no graven images to the Israelites. Uh, yes. Israelites having a, a golden buffalo party. But, you know, and we talked about this last week, too, um, that, you know, that's some one argument for him breaking the tablets is like, okay, they don't know it's a sin. (laughs) If we break the tablets, it's not a sin. Right. Um, And so I wonder, I mean, and again, I already know the answer to this, I think, or the lack of an answer to it. But, you know, right. Like, why is why is anything that Eve did this? a sin it's just because it was decided like god said it was a sin. right but as you said yeah. like he there's all i mean this to to jamin's point and stuff that we've talked about um not on this podcast yet but jacob and i have talked about a morbid anatomy is like yeah god either god is satan's equal which is problematic or god created satan and controls him which is problematic you like it's this constant battle going back and forth because some in some of the the books that I read the non canonical books I read God's outright says that he can't control Satan. Yeah, that's a very he can only come and clean up after kind of him. a medieval Christian sort of mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, in this story, the story is about growing up and and losing innocence, and mm-hmm. um, that's a tragedy, but it's a necessary factor of life. And I think asking about the things that set this into motion is, again, it's, it's going to make you unhappy with the, the meaning of the story. But I do think that God's very ambivalent about sin here. 
um, if this is indeed sin. I would I would accept that. I would accept yeah. that. Well, uh, um, is he ambivalent, or does he just? Well, you can't say he doesn't know because he's omniscient. Well, the gods put Pandora's box in front of Pandora, saying, "Don't open the box." God puts the tree of knowledge here, and then sends in a serpent to say, "Just tell him to disobey me," or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we know how children work. Um, the box gets opened. The always, always, yeah. Mm-hmm. God is not using reverse psychology here at all. So he's maybe he's setting the circumstances up for them to leave the garden. And again, this is this is metaphor for an imagined time of innocence and the difficulty of the daily world. It's like the movie, like the movie Failure to Launch or Blue Lagoon. I'm ready for you guys to move out. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think it's interesting because Jacob, now all this is actually making some. Oh, this is actually making some sense with the first and second book of Adam and Eve slash the conflict with Satan. Oh, the book of infinite whining. Yeah, the book because that is definitely a story about growing up, like being a being a baby, being a toddler, being a preteen. I guess going through puberty, I had I had a question about that, and then becoming an adult and having to like do adult things and kind of give up on, you know, like learn to delay gratification, (laughs) you know, and not just complain about it. So the secret book of Adam and Eve is at least three volumes of fifth century Christian Adam and Eve fanfic. And I think we got just an awful lot of mileage out of this laughing back and forth about it, because in many ways, it's the story of how terrified adam and eve were as they left the garden of eden and i did a a death count and there were three suicides and two just dropping dead out of out of sheer (laughs) fear (laughs) or just like moodiness like that was kind of the like they just died of whining right they said they whine themselves to death and then god resurrects them (laughs) over and over again god resurrects these people who really want to die, which and then uh, stops talking to them. Well, and God sees to commune with Adam. Got out <laughs> over and over again. That line too. Uh, I'm amazed by the profound uselessness of early Adam. Eve mm-hmm. is attacked by the serpent. Quote: Adam stood by and wept that he had no stick in his hand. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I start uh, when I first started my notes. I was putting an asterisk next next to every single death of any sort and suicide attempt and i ran out of asterisks yeah i believe that can i read the canonical list of things that terrify adam and eve such they want to die or die oh no yes and i will add i will add what uh, if you if you have missed any uh dirt stone and sand sand is really scary the gates Uh of heaven that's legitimate Uh 5.5 days the tree of life also legitimate cherub of the flaming sword also legitimate entering a cave being indoors. Being indoors is really bad. Uh, animals <laughs> animals as a category. Animals that are not currently devouring you. The state of not being devoured by an animal. Uh, water. <laughs> water is really bad, like suicide by drowning, bad. Uh, creation, uh-huh. categorically. The sun, darkness. Darkness is really bad. The length of the night in May. Snakes. <laughs> seeing the Garden of Eden from across the street. Walking. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh the glory of Satan that that is legit. Uh-huh. Not having clear instructions. Oh, figs. 
Figs, surprise fires, being on fire, earthquakes and falling rocks, legit, needing uh-huh. clothes, specifically as a subcondition of existing, eating, relationship commitment, fratricide, that's legit, cutting the umbilical cord metaphorically, from Seth, I am afraid of doing anything about my father and mother's leave, a special call out to seeing significant other naked. Yes, I think you got pretty much all of them. And I have to say that there's some straight up comedic moments. Genuinely so, yes, yes. (laughs) Like one of my favorites, I think this is where Buster Keaton got the house scene from, oh, what is the name of the movie? There's a famous scene in one of his movies where a house falls on him and he's standing in the doorway. So the house just falls straight up around him. Steamboat Bill Jr. But there's uh, the devil wants to throw a stone on Adam and Eve to kill them. But he's worried that because there's a hole in the middle of the stone, if he throws it on Adam and Eve, they're just going to like pop up through the middle. (laughs) Right. Well, and it turns out not to matter because as as Satan drops the stone on him, God turns it into a shed. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Just like Buster Keaton. Yes. So they tend to hang out in the shed rather than the cave of treasures because being inside is scary. A weird one for me, uh, and now my children, Adam and Eve, look at my hoary hairs and at my feeble estate and my coming from that distant place. Come, come to me to a place of rest. And God began to weep and to sob before Adam and Eve and his tears pour on the earth like water. Mm, Very mm -hmm. strange. Yeah, it is weird. It is weird that he... He's very both not having it and tolerant. Like all of this stuff keeps happening. And it is very much like a wily e. Coyote and a Roadrunner situation because, you know, the devil will come up and like come up with some kind of crazy jape, you know, like he, he and his, his uh, entourage will dress as angels that and come up and try to, yeah. it does, where they show up and promise to take Adam or Eve somewhere and, you know, just craziness ensues. And the whole thing about, him not being able to go into the cave, so he just sets up his throne right next to the cave and talks to them. I, I like that. <laughs> uh, did you know that heaven is in India? See, okay, so, but also the serpent gets thrown to in, into India. Well, it's, it's, it's India is like the place of the unknown, I suppose. But India didn't even exist. I guess it existed when this was written. However, this well, is one of those times. Hmm. Where this, is, this is a translation of a probably Latin document, so who yes. knows what it actually said. It actually... What I read about it, it was translated from, is it Ethiopic or Ethiopic? Okay. Uh-huh. To German, and then from German to English. Oh, so God knows at this point. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, you, you like this one. But Adam, and, Adam said to Eve, I'm afraid to eat of this fig. I know not what may come <laughs> upon me from it. <laughs> they are afraid of food and water, and Very. rightfully so, rightfully so, because they do not get um digestive organs until chapter 65 interesting <laughs> <laughs> and the the name that jamin the, the chapter titles are alone worth reading because this chapter is titled adam and eve acquired digestive organs mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't okay so the the framing of this story it begins with adam and eve leaving the garden of eden and then i think walking around the garden of eden for a year or so Trying to figure out how to get back into it. Approaching it from different angles, that sort of thing. Then they Mm -hmm. give up and live their lives, their pathetic, pathetic lives, and have have their kids who murder each other. And then it kind of trails down to Moses and, or Noah rather, 
these books, these three books, are collections of little lore and legends that were kind of co- cobbled together to make the, the secret books. And uh, like one that I recognize, I was very happy about it. Sandman Callout. I learned about this in the Dreaming comic series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet uh, Adam and Eve's daughters, Aklima and Lulua. And mm-hmm. these are the ones that, uh, Ad- that Cain and Abel fight over and marry. And that's, I think, an Islamic myth in its origin. Yeah, I, th- I have. I have more to say about Cain eventually when we get when we get there. We got some good casual racism and sexism in the same verse. Uh, yes, and look, O oh Adam, at him who said to himself that he is God. Can God be black? Would God take the form of a one? Is there anyone stronger than God? And can he be overpowered? <laughs> the form of a what? Woman. Form of a woman. A woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Um, but also. Adam gets a he gets a foreshadowing of things to come, including the flood. Mm-hmm. Because, as we all know, eventually through Cain we get to Noah. Right. Mm-hmm. I have a question about Noah. Ask away. So here's the quote uh-huh. regarding Noah and and his virtue. Noah is very virtuous. Also, he does not need to change his clothes for a hundred years. I'm not going to ask questions about that. Therefore, did he afflict his soul? He restrained his members and retained his virginity. How many members does Noah have? So is this a a word problem? Like, if Noah's restraining his members at 3 p.m. <laughs> and a train leaves for Chicago. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. How no. many members does Noah have? Okay. So you're driving a bus. Two, okay. pe- two people get on. Uh-huh. One of them hasn't changed their clothes in 100 years. That's the next okay. stop. Three people get off. Uh-huh. Right. What color are your eyes? Oh, I messed up. Anyway. Noah, okay, so Noah was so virtuous, but wasn't Noah also the one who got drunk outside of his boat and let his members hang out? Not yes. In, not in this text. Right. But that is, yeah, that is a Noah story as well. Is this pre-boat well. or post-boat Noah? That's that post-boat Noah. Uh-huh. He, like he learned he learned he learned not to loose his members. So here's a question. Was this another kind of Adam and Eve slash Job situation where God just kept giving Noah members to try to tempt him? <laughs> <laughs> so two won't do it, huh? Let's try three. <laughs> Are you virtuous now, boy? <laughs> In the later chapter, Jared returns to T Mountain. There's, uh-huh. a, there's a watcher call-out, which is kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, when, at the end of the year, Jenin saw they were being won over to him little by little, Satan entered into him, pause for effect, and taught him, <laughs> to make, taught him to make dyeing stuffs for garments of diverse patterns and how to make him understand how to dye crimson and purple. And the sons of Cain who wrought all this and shone in beauty and gorgeous apparel gathered together at the foot of the mountains in splendor with horns and gorgeous dressing, committing all manner of abominations. So that's so it sounds like you said Jared, but you're talking about Jerun, right? G E R U N. Yeah, Janun. I think Jan- Sorry, is it Janun? Janun. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, I am super interested in this figure because he also created music. Hey. And strong drink. I think that he's actually like embodying a lot of the things the Watchers the, taught. The two yep, go hand yep, in hand. Yep. Like this and is the ultimate bad influence uncle. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Partying. Fancy clothes, weapons of war, violence—like he, ins- he uh, yeah. instilled kind of yeah. you know brawling. 
he's kind of a, a Dionysian figure in a way, but we don't like I I didn't if maybe I'd still go to church if it were <laughs> if it were more interesting. Like why did why didn't we learn about all this at least in Christ like in all the um, Protestant churches yeah. I went to? We never the, talked. There about were no this there stuff. were no Gregorian Sunday school. Come on, Betty. Come on, Miss <laughs> chapter chapter twenty four. Uh-huh. But God, but God knew that Adam had in his thoughts that he should often kill himself and make an offering of him, and make <laughs> and make an offering to him of his blood. Oh. Get up, thy goodness, God. Do not away with me altogether, but be favorable to me. And every time I die, bring me back to life. Oh my God! I mean, it really is just kind of like The Sims, you know, <laughs> like just trying out all of these terrible, terrible things. And just kind of rebooting them every single time. Yeah. So this is the secret books of Adam and Eve. I also read uh, the book of Adam and Eve or the apocalypse of Adam and Eve. This is a first century Old Testament Jewish fanfic. Mm -hmm. And basically what happens is there's the first murder and then Eve tells the entire story of of the fall from grace and they can't go back to paradise. Then Adam dies and they go and they they wash him in Lake Asheron and then Eve dies. I mean, this is basically just recapitulating the stories from Genesis, but it does link Satan to a rebellion against the divine order. So this is kind of Satan taking his angels and rebelling against God. And this is about Mm -hmm. 100 AD. I kind of thought that wasn't a thing until like 300 AD, but that's specifically Lucifer as the Satan that does this. So the myth of the fallen angels had some antecedents in like, 100 AD. That, that, that's kind of neat. I didn't know that. Hmm. I didn't either. Yeah. So is that the same as the life of Adam and Eve? Yes, that is the life okay. of Adam and Eve. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that one was super interesting just because it's the only one where Eve gets to tell her story. Like she actually gets a voice. That's true. It's not much of a voice, but she does get to re- retell things. And mm-hmm. fun fact, at the end of the the story, Solomon receives the tablets that Eve wrote down. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So kind of comes full circle there. Wow. Okay. So, my little side quest on Cain. A lot of interesting stuff about Cain. Specifically, one of the first things is who his father is. Because... Not necessarily Adam. Not necessarily Adam. We already talked about potentially the serpent. Sometimes Samuel. Exactly. Right. Sometimes Samuel. That's going to be the title of my next album. Sometimes. Sometimes. Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> but again, Samuel, who's not Satan, uh, but he's well, but he's the leader of the Satans. Like he's the head Satan of the Satans. Right. He's not necessarily bad. Yeah. Well, he does turn up when they're starting to dissect the idea of a Satan. Yes, but he's also kind of like TV's Lucifer, who we haven't brought up in a while. A punisher of sinners, not somebody who, you know, in- inspires people to sin or causes them to sin. Um, but allegedly he did orchestrate the fall, potentially. But this is how Cain becomes associated with the Nephilim. And so he's potentially half human, half angel. And that is something we're going to talk about next week because we do have the watchers who are. Yes. Of that ilk. I've been sitting and on sitting on something watcher related for about six months now. 
Okay. But this also goes to the mountain where you have the children of Abel up on the mountain and being tempted to come down by the children of Cain, specifically the women who are the daughters of Satan. Okay. So the daughters of man, huh? Mm -hmm. This is complicated. Like this is the opposite of the watcher myth in some ways. Oh, okay. Well, we can, we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I need to sort some thoughts over that one. Okay. Um, but also another possibility for how Cain came to be in Gnosticism Eve might have been raped by a pair of archons or archons. Archons? Okay. That's- The angels? That's that's different. Uh-huh. They're the builders of the physical universe. And so these guys are rulers and each one is related to um, one of the seven planets, but they prevent souls from leaving the material realm. So in, in, in Gnosticism, God is frequently a really awful character. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so in Manichaeism, the archons- um, they're the ruler of the realm within the kingdom of darkness, and together they make up the prince of darkness. So again, kind of a satanic possibility. But it's like a satanic, also, a satanic Voltron. Exactly, because they're also hermaphroditic. Oh, oh. and they uh, have the faces of beasts. And there's some supposition that Sam Samael might also be an archon. Okay, I'll buy that. A little, a little weird fanfic there from Gnosticism too. But also, like, I'm still struggling with what the mark of Cain actually is. Wasn't, Any thoughts? Wasn't that a Danzig song? Yeah, probably. Well, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Well, so, God wanted to ca- punish Cain forever. Cain said, woe unto me, I'm a murderer when I go out. <laughs> I'm um, a murderly murderer. <laughs> no! <laughs> when, when I go out, Cain, everybody will kill me, and so it won't be a very effective punishment, oh Lord. And God says, I don't want that to happen, so I'll put a mark on you that will mean that anybody that sees it will know this, but they will be punished like 10 times over for what they do to you. Okay. So, so it yeah. protects him so he can suffer longer. So also there is, again, this is non-canonical, but there's some supposition that the mark was actually physical, that there physically was a mark on Cain, and it may have been a horn. Sure. And this this may be why um, Lamech accidentally killed him because Lamech is is his great is his grandson. Lamech is blind, or at least like visually impaired, and he and Tubal Cain mistook Cain for a beast and killed him. A racist interpretation is that it's dark skin is the mark. Yes, I did not want to go there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, I th- but no, 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 no. But that is true. And that has been used for cent- for centuries to justify all sorts of terrible, terrible things, including slavery. Yes. So anybody here a fan of the DC comic, Cain and Abel? Those figures show up in Sandman. Right. And they're based on these characters. Yeah. Almost every character in Sandman is based on a comic book narrator. Yes. So, Cain and Abel, I just realized today why Cain can never bury, like, his brother keeps coming back to life. Why? Because, again, in a more slapstick moment of the uh, first and second book of Adam and Eve, Cain keeps trying to bury Abel and the earth keeps spitting him out. 
Oh, fun. I didn't remember that part. <laughs> For lots of reasons, one of which is... Yuck. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Chewy. Um, one is because Abel's blood is pure, so the Earth doesn't want to take that in. I forgot what the second reason was, but then the other one is just to mock Cain and to um, mock his lie to God. And one could also argue that mur- the murder, if we're talking about having sex is not the sin... Murder may not be the sin here. The lying may be. Mm. Yeah, because it seemed like, oh, yeah, so you murdered your brother. Okay, whatever. But you lied to me about it. Mm. If you just told me the truth from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I really, in a sense, Cain's story would be the first real sin because he was the first person to commit something like that while under the influence of the knowledge of good and evil. It's true, but also he, so this takes me to Lord Byron and the play Cain mm-hmm. that Lord Byron wrote that was uh, kind of akin to Paradise Lost, but about Cain as the main figure and as this romantic hero. And in it, Cain struggles with these issues and struggles with a fear of death because he knows death exists, but doesn't quite know what it's going to look like. And so, like, part of his agony is expecting death, but having no concept of it. Hmm. And also having no, under, you know, being kind of screwed over by, or seeming like, thinking he's been screwed over by um, <sighs> God and his parents and his brother. Yeah, so he feels like his mortality is unfair punishment for his parents' transgression. So he's kind of the ultimate surly teenager. <laughs> So, talking about questions, mm-hmm. I was uh, watching a video by Skip Keitzig, who says that there are a disproportionate number of questions in Job. Like, Gen- <laughs> Genesis has 160, Matthew has like 150 questions, Psalms 160, Job has 330 questions. I One of the things that I read explains why that... Well, there's several reasons why that is, my guessing. Because um, it seems... Instead of, like, actually a story, it is like a Socratic dialogue, right? It is, very much so. And also, it is similar to a legal case. Like, that. I read another article stating that it's based on law and Job arguing for his purity. And God yes. then arguing for um, his own sovereignty over how he decides to, like, run the world. I got very into my reading of Book of Job, which was my first uh-huh. reading it's of true. Book of Job, actually. It's true. I was, I was <laughs> stomping all over the house arguing with the writers of this book. He woke me uh-huh. up and he's like, it was a terrible book! I didn't it's, say yes, that. Yes, it's weird. It was a uh-huh. frustrating book. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the structure of this book is, is, is unusual. It begins with a prelude. And the prelude is God and the devil um, in the like in the council. So we deal we talk about the sons of God, and these are could easily be set the seventy goddesses and gods that were like El's children, for all we know. Yahweh is not necessarily in this crowd. This is a period where the writer of this book tends to refer to God as uh, El Shaddai, uh, which is interestingly the far south Edom place where Yahweh came from. So I thought that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. 
there are three characters in this book, uh, functionally. Uh, Job, Satan, and God. And in this place, Satan is the adversary still. He's not um, the devil that's like a year 200 thing mm-hmm. or so. So he's he's a member of God's council, though probably a fairly dark member of God's council. So it begins with, with two scenes in the council chambers, alternating council chamber and Job. Uh, and a good comedy beat with Job. Um, and then it goes to about 20 pages of Job's friends trying to convince Job that God is just and good, and it must be something you did. And right. Mm-hmm. Job kind of not quite buying that, not quite not buying that, but feeling like he's he's good and shouldn't be thrown under that bus. And his friends are saying, well, you can't be that good, can you? Although the text says Job is really good. Like, he's so good that he does penance for his kids. I think it's kind of amazing that Job is rich, 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 and still good. Like, that's that's unusual. It's the whole uh, prosperity gospel. It's like the, kind of like that, <laughs> kind of the opposite of it almost. Yeah, well, yeah, it starts off, it starts off there and it goes somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end, Job, there's a weird little aside from uh, an angry youth. And I have to say that I was upset by that because anything said by a 20-year-old angry male who just wants to tell his elders what he thinks – is rarely worth listening to, mm. <laughs> in in my experience. Um, and then God appears on stage to kind of justify himself, and I feel fails to. Have you seen Disney's The Black Cauldron? You have mentioned this many times, and I have to say that I have not. It is very bad. <laughs> okay. At the end, there's a noble sacrifice, and then it's redacted by witches resurrecting the character that sacrificed himself. Okay. I didn't like that very much. It made the story feel very weak. And that's that's like how I left this one here. Okay. Okay. I may have to watch it. All right. Mm-hmm. So I have a theory. Mm-hmm. I had this theory after listening to you rant for 17 seconds straight. Mm-hmm. Nobody <laughs> likes reading Job in English. It's the most boring book ever. But what if, I bet it would. I bet in German it'd be pretty good. I was gonna say, like, <laughs> one thousand BC, whatever language they were speaking, uh-huh. whatever sub dialect, you know, in the in the Qumran Uz scrolls. Like, what mm-hmm. if Job was the best beat poetry ever? Like, what if there was rhythm? What if there was singing and dancing? It's like, oh, Daddy, sing Job to me again. The story wasn't important, but it was just such a great read that we had to write it down. It definitely is a book that's probably lost something in translation. Yeah. The poetry, the yeah. poetry is pretty impressive, although it's very sad, dark poetry, and it alternates between like sad, dark poetry and like David Attenborough nature documentary of glory. Oh yeah, about yeah. all the critters and yeah, like, like specifics about their biology and yeah, it's like really their diet. <laughs> deep deep dive into the complication of the world. Uh huh, and also. Created. Behemoth and Leviathan. Yeah. And God is very, very proud of them. Yeah. God yeah, is very proud of them. Because, and he shows, they show the complexity of the creation because chaos can exist or it, it can be managed and controlled. Right. But chaos still exists, which I take, umbr- I mean, I'm pro chaos existing in the world. I'm pro things being complex. I'm pro there being a world of possibilities that we have no idea that we just don't even know of yet so why do christians particular kinds of christians i will say insist that there is no complexity and insist on just there being like this everything being black and white when 
God here is arguing that the beauty of creation is that it's so freaking gray. Well, because nobody reads Job. I guess so. Or they just have like kind of checked out before they get to, to me, the best part of it. So on the subject of Isidus, yes, I started, I started doing my Job research, not by reading Job, but by like listening to a bunch of YouTube videos because I was at work Mm -hmm. and the vast majority of YouTube videos about Job done by Christians ask questions along the lines of how does Job show the coming of Christ? How does Job reflect the suffering of Christ? What obviously Job does not have Christ because he can suffer. And I just want to punch these people in the throat because this book was written 700 years or 1200 years before Christ at all. And it is not salvation theology. That's really an unfair thing to lay on it. Mm -hmm. It's a really powerful book, but it is not presaging jesus what because the, jesus was not a thing right <laughs> that, like, really irritating that's a great word i'm glad you brought that to the table victoria what does the book of job have to say about grandma sweet potatoes yeah. <laughs> see you could plug in anything like you know buffy the vampire slayer Yeah, that episode of care bears where they brought the lion up and and comedy ensued so much job. right uh-huh yeah no. That's, that's so Job. That's so Job. Ah, our sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of every episode, he gets a consolation prize and boils. Again, it's worth reiterating, don't read this like a novel. Because if you're reading this like a novel, then you're left with like questions about, well, I mean, kind of the questions about, is this God cruel and sadistic are reasonable. But also, this is a parable. And I think that it's worth asking who the audience of this should be, because, well, so to go into a little bit more, I'm just going to tell the story a little more detail. We begin with Satan and God, and Satan, God turns to Satan, unprovoked as far as I can tell, and says, hey, what do you think about my servant Job? He really likes me. And Satan says, I don't think he would if you didn't bless him all the time. Maybe if you took his blessings away from you, he'd have a different thing to say about you. And God says, why don't you do that? And Satan does, but this is God washing his hands of evil again, and I don't like that. But it kind of, what, what is the audience? I need to ask myself that over and over again. So I timed this. Job is minding his own business, and within 30 seconds, messengers come to him and say, you've lost your sheep, they were taken by raiders, and all of your servants there were killed except me. Which is odd. <laughs> you lost your horses and camels. All of the all of the servants were slaughtered as well, except me. Mm-hmm. Your house collapsed, killing your family. Except for his wife. Except he for got his to wife. Keep his wife. Yeah. And all your servants, except <laughs> me. He's got three servants left. I mean that's, he does. that's more than more I've than got. Me. He yeah. does. Maybe those are his friends that turn up over the next few pages. That makes sense. So this happens, and I timed it 28.75 seconds. Wow. Yeah. So that's how fast Job's entire life is taken away from him. And mm-hmm. his response is basically after, you know, rending his robe and shaving his hair, oh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Great is God. Um, which I think is kind of a sociopathic reaction. But it, <laughs> it, does, it does underline, like, how truly good this person is and how no, in no way, shape, or form does he deserve any of this shit. 
No, nobody does. That's yeah. the thing. Nobody does. Um, so scene cut. Yes. The the Council of L, where God again turns to Satan and says, "So, what do you think about Job?" <laughs> and Satan says, "I'm impressed, but mm-hmm. you should." Cause him pain. You should hurt him. And God says, I give you permission to do whatever you'd like. Don't kill him. And he actually says to, to Satan in this, in this paragraph, I don't understand why you're so upset about Job, why you did all these things to him. Totally unprovoked. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> so after that, we meet the true source of pain and frustration in the world, and that is Job's friends. And there's a very long passage where these friends are having like this evolving conversation it's well written where it kind of begins with well good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people so i don't know what that means about you job Uh, i understand the word job means to suffer so there's that and gradually over the course of the next 20 pages job's position evolves from like i am suffering why am i suffering to um i am meek before this infinite god so he does evolve his understanding of things his friends are just irritating. They basically say the common wisdom of do good, do good things, and you'll you'll do good. You must have been bad. But the text underlines how good Job is, and this cannot be right. So again, who is the audience of this? It's the exact opposite of the prosperity gospel, because all these things happen to Job because he's prosperous, mm-hmm. and all of it's taken away. And then we have this weird bit where... Um, we meet oh the the fourth friend whose name is curly elihu yeah oh yeah, yeah. Elihu. right one theory is that elihu is the author's insertion of himself <laughs> so he's kind of the dante <laughs> a little bit but he just reiterates everything uh-huh that's true but he adds a twist he does he does he does and then god shows up there's some interesting call outs scattered around here can i just say one thing that i found uh the three friends as kind of being the opposite of Brene brown's ideas on empathy okay yeah i see that <laughs> it's like no let's interrogate how you fucked up <laughs> so if you've just come off the garden of eden job is talking the the friends are talking about the bad person the hungry consume his harvest, taking it even from among thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. That is a mm-hmm. direct call out to the curse. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. backwards, because it says this doesn't happen. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. But of the good person, you will have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the wild animals will be at peace with you. So he's like reversing the curses in Eden to, to make their, their rhetorical points. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> but over over here, it's like, you really sound like a sinner, Job. Are God's consolations not enough for you? All his days, a wicked man suffers torment. So when God finally gets there, there's this intermission. There's a song called Where is Wisdom Found? And it's, it's nice poetry. And then we get to um, hear God turn up. And the, the young man gives some David Attenborough moments. Uh, with one one line I particularly liked, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead the bear with his cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? And at the end of it, God shows up, says, I am 
I am all that and you are not, you little peon. Um, bathe in my majesty. I'm being sarcastic there. Um, <laughs> but it's basically, yo, I'm infinite. Shut up. Um, right. And then he, then he turns to the friends and says, you are not good friends. You've been lying to Job. But if Job forgi- if forgives you, then I'll forgive you as well. Again, washing his hands of something. And then in the spirit of resurrecting Gurgi at the end of the Black Cauldron, God restores everything to Job all at once because he's kept the faith. And that was when I started screaming and walking around the house. I, yeah, there's so many things that I, I have to say one another moment that makes me scream is when Elihu or Elihu adds the little twist of, oh, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. That Ugh, jerk. Yeah. yeah. But I will also say, I was going to say something else about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems here that the friends are, God is angrier with the friends because they were so uh, hubristic as to say that they knew how God worked. Yeah, maybe there is Which is kind of a catch-22. <laughs> well, God can say it. <laughs> exactly, but yes. So he gives everything back, but then it's not the same stuff. Like, he still lost everything. It's just now he has, I mean, this is what happens in real life. Like, okay, your spouse dies. Maybe you'll marry again. Maybe you'll have other kids, but it's not a reward. You'll have better kids. <laughs> yeah, really. But it's just like, and and the... um. I I read some uh, children's versions of this because uh, it's easier to do that than read the actual Bible. Right. Um, but these worksheets that I found, <laughs> they, just, were, again, they were peculiar. They were peculiar because in the end, God uh, bestows, you know, they they claim everything back to Job, but he still has the boils. Boils is listed as a benefit, like, and now with boils. Hey, <laughs> maybe maybe it's like he's got a hot water kettle now. It's like I had everything taken from me and all I got were these boils. <laughs> and and some new sons. That's right, which I don't really like what happened to my could could I just maybe get my old ones back? I mean The old ones were potty trained. They were working in the fields. Yeah. The new ones, I got to start over. Like these are kind of they're kind of downers. The sermon that, Jacob, you shared with me and Jamin uh, from Derek Thomas about the book of Job, one line that he said stood out to me, because I think this is a really good line, is the problem of pain is the problem of God. Yes. Yeah. The Odyssey is is it. That's the center mm-hmm. of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this goes back to your point, Jamin, about like, okay, so evil is actually a problem of God. It's not a problem of the devil. Well, the devil was created by God. So. Exactly. So it's a problem. And the, of God. the more monotheistic you get, the more that's the case. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't know. God. God is really like a villain in this in this story to me. He's. This is an act of pure sadism. And then he says, you know, well, I took, I gave to you, and I took away, but you did it while twisting a knife, there, sir. Yeah, and allowing allow it just like, yeah. Go ahead. Play with them. I mean, it's like the movie Trading Spaces. You know, like, you're supposed to hate the two rich guys. Oh. But here we're supposed to like God? There's a couple of a couple of particularly funny bits. Um, or Trading Places. Sorry, Trading Spaces was a show where they redid <laughs> people's room. That also had some Job moments. Yeah, yeah. 
a, a couple of funny bits to my mind. When God, Job loses everything, his three friends show up. And they just show up and they don't say anything for about seven days, which right. seems uh-huh. very male to me until Job finally flips out. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. What would it have been like if it had been ladies? <laughs> this entire scenario would be totally different. Also, they wouldn't have written a book about it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Why did I even think they would? His friend Zoe basically says, would you please shut up? God has forgiven God even God has God has even forgotten some of your sin. And Job replies to him, Doubtless you were the only people who matter, and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> Ouch. I liked that a lot. I also liked when Job was was in the midst of his deep whining, justified whining, justified whining. More so than Adam and Eve, yeah. yeah his wife says to him, Why do you just curse God and he'll kill you? Oh, smart. Like, yeah. And she's like, please. I can imagine. I can imagine. Just, just give in. Let God kill you. It'll be better that way. I, it's okay. Just, it sounds like a really, uh, like, she's trying to tolerate this as best as she can. And also, here's the question. She also ha- suffered all these losses. Well, she has no problem complaining about God. I guess oh, that's, that's yeah. So that's the difference. That's the difference. We've right? established yeah. that, yeah. Okay. Um, All right. But yeah, all she right. does. She is one of the survivors because God wouldn't take away his wife. That's it's like someone. Maybe it was Derek Thomas said God wouldn't take away the wife. God would not want to take away the friends because to take away the fam, the wife and friends would be taking away life itself. But it's okay to get rid of your kids. Well, they they weren't named. But I guess, you know, if you still have your wife, then you can replace the kids that you lost because they're all just like the little pegs in the game of life. Hey, one of the thing, one of the reasons this hit me as hard as it did is because the reason I left the church was in many ways because of this, God provides all things to people that love him. And if you pray, nothing bad will happen to you. And that's just so out of line with my lived experience. And I mm-hmm. believe the vast majority of people's lived experience that felt so hollow, particularly when my church fired my mother for no good reason. Uh That was a long time ago. I'm not whining now that this entire thing was kind of tied into this for a long, until the end, it was actually very therapeutic because like there was no prosperity gospel. There was no God will bear you up and cater to you. Your happiness is not attained through the love of God necessarily. Some something else is. I don't know what that something else is, and that gets to me. But that's one of the reasons why it really affected me as as hard as it did. And I think, like, it, I except for the ending, I was really good with it. And when I when I think of who the audience for this is, and I, for me, that's a fairly hard question. I think the audience is people that look to God for answers, for easy hmm. answers. Like this, th- this is. Written for people that believe that God is a procedural engine of goodness that will aid you in your life and do anything other than walk beside you. Gotcha. Like God is another servant, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. The God bot mm-hmm. or something. God bot. <laughs> so we kind of joked about this earlier, but now I kind of feel like this kind of ties things back. Uh, Carl Jung. Oh, Oh God! No, uh, right. don't. Just want don't. to kill. Ja- this is this is uh, the book of Jacob. No, I here, already had a. I already had a bad day. Hear, hear me out. Okay, so oh. I was laughing. You were laughing. Carl Jung wrote a book called uh, Antwerp of Job, which is the answer to Job. And I learned oh. that the German word for Job is just H I O B. 
Job. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read this almost verbatim because... You don't have to. Not the whole book, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Page one, chapter one. Okay. <laughs> so, you're right. In this scenario, God kind of vilifies himself by doing these things to a perfectly good man, okay? Here's Carl Jung's take on it. The significance of the divine drama, the book of Job, okay? So, Job, Job, submitted to Yahweh's omnipotence. But in this scenario, Job, through his diligence, turns out to be more moral and conscious than God who tormented him without justification mm, mm -hmm. and was tormented under the influence of Satan, right? So yeah. because of this discrepancy, this is now, like it says, a scandal for God. This scandal made it necessary for God to become united with man, at which point Satan was banished, and then God was reincarnated as purely good through the virgin birth. See the air quotes. Uh, right? So because, <laughs> a, because of this discrepancy, it's like, okay, God was like, hey, Satan, see my dude, look how good he is, we can torment him. And then he was like, oh, I messed up. Now I need to reimagine myself as a better, more purer God than the old God, and thus usher in the new realm. Yeah, sure, if you're Gnostic. I mean, that's why, I mean, come on, it's a fair answer. Why was the story of Job to explain why the new virgin birth God is not the old Job tormenting God? I think if you need an answer like that, you don't understand Job yet. <laughs> I think an answer like that, you don't understand Carl Jung. That is also accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. And that's fine. But no, like, mm -hmm. we were joking. That, like, as you were talking, I, I kind of, I, I've been holding on to this, this book, and I was like, oh, it actually, like, he's trying to justify it. He's trying to bring it back to, and I mean, you know, it's definite ice to Jesus, mm -hmm. but he's trying, aren't we all? So... <laughs> we are we're all trying so this this predates the law this predates mm -hmm. the law of israel this predates the ten commandments right. and this is before the idea of a covenant with god um mm -hmm. i i feel like a lot of echoes of that prayer to any gods are here as well god job just flails his hands in the air and says i don't know what i did i don't know what i did i don't know what i did and that like lost unknown thing that is something that yahweh has not provided yet we don't have the rules to live with them rightly and correctly at this point. This mm -hmm. just predates um, the idea of God's people almost. I think it does. Yeah. No, you're right. Before the Jewish relationship with God was set up. So maybe the answer to this entire thing, this entire like dilemma is that when you walk in covenant with God, you you're in covenant with God. Like you're in you're you're in Miet. You're in the cosmic order and harmony camp. Not necessarily having a good life, but a harmonious life. Mm -hmm. hmm. I don't know. I still have so many problems with this book. Like it does not it's all questions and no answers for sure. That's true. That's true. But I think we've I'm glad we've talked about it. And maybe by the time we get to episode two hundred <laughs> <laughs> we'll have answers. We'll have weird answers. <laughs> we can always come back to more, it. Um, more weird than the ones we have now. It's true. But I do, I did enjoy the research for this week because we are getting to 
the origins of mm. evil. Yeah, and I think I think that having a good look at Satan as the adversary, as mm-hmm. like a member of God's council, as what God's council looks like um, when it was a polytheistic structure, that's really helpful for like seeing how things evolve. And if someone asks you questions about evil or Satan or hell, it's good to have the backstory. And this is like a very foundational pair of stories for that mm-hmm. future-looking legacy. You know, it's interesting because you said uh, adversary, but also in the story or in the story of Job, Satan is also kind of going back to that legal thing. Um, That's the word. Satan is adversary. Right. But also he's considered an accuser, too. There's all some. Yeah. Somewhere in this word, though, there's um, somewhere in this text, there's the word intercessor, which is also kind of a legal term. Uh-huh. And I kind of wonder if if that's another named NPC or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I was curious about that too because I hadn't seen accuser. I hadn't thought about the sort of legal legal like proceedings of the Book of Job, Satan's role as kind of like yeah, like counsel as in a legal sense between the two parties, and this whole thing is kind of a court. Yeah, and and if in our legal system there's the accuser, but there's the defense, and uh, we don't we don't have that. <laughs> no, no, nobody is defending Job except for himself. Like and, and, he's and unfortunately Elihu. chosen to be his own lawyer. And Elihu, maybe maybe we yeah. all maybe we all have to defend Job. Like we're we're the audience, we're the witnesses. Yeah, I guess you're right, but I think I don't know. At least the way this is told to children, it's to say that you should. Tough it out. Just yeah, you just right. Like you just assume there's a reason. Yeah. And and God God won't abandon you. Right. Like everything's gonna be okay. You just but, put all but of he your faith in God. Will throw you under a bus. He will. He will and he will give you boils <laughs> and bus boils. <laughs> bus boils. Well, dear listeners, thank you for joining us on another strange journey. We will be continuing our walk through kind of Old Testament world and touching on the Watchers and the Flood and going back to Mesopotamia, I suspect, over the next few weeks. I'm very excited about that. But until then, we will see you in hell. Yay! Bye! Theme song! Theme song! This podcast is copyright 2023 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.